The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Slate's Trump Care Tracker, the show where we discuss the Republican quest to repeal and replace Obamacare. I'm Jordan Weissman, Slate's uh, economics correspondent. And I'm Jim Newell. I cover Congress for Slate. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about the big event that's coming up on Thursday. Senate Republicans are getting ready to unveil their draft bill, the long-awaited sneak peek of whatever the heck it is they might possibly be voting on coming next week to reshape the entire U.S. healthcare system. It's like the entire United States is waiting for the beat to drop. Yeah, they're working on a discussion draft. It makes it sound like they would then have a few more months to maybe work from that draft. But no, they are still targeting final passage next week. So we're going to talk about the discussion draft. And then also we're going to get a little bit into one of the potential big sticking points on policy, whether or not the Senate is going to be able to pass a bill that allows states just to get rid of Obamacare's rules. And we're going to get into some of the uh, procedural issues there and whether or not that could end up scotching this whole effort. But first, the draft bill. So, Jim, what do you think are like the big things we need to be looking for when this thing comes out tomorrow? What should everybody be focused on? There's about six or seven different things that everyone's going to be looking for. First, if you look at Medicaid, there's been some reporting that this bill has a three-year phase-out of the program. Of Medicaid expansion. Of the Medicaid expansion. Although I'm sure there's somebody, there's like one Republican who's like, just phase out Medicaid. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm sure that is somewhere. Yeah, but thank you for for clarifying that. Yeah, (laughs) it will phase out the uh, Affordable Care Act expansion of Medicaid. So we'll do that over three years. Yeah. And it will also grow the program at a slower rate than the House bill would have done it. So we're looking to see if those are actually the numbers and those could be subject to change. So we're also looking at which regulations this bill will allow states to waive out of, which Obamacare regulations. Could it be the essential health benefits, rating by health status? We're trying to see which ones they'll allow there. We're looking to see how they rewrite the refundable tax credits that will be available for people to buy insurance plans on the individual market, which the Senate is rewriting. Uh, We're looking to see in the next couple of years how much stabilization money will be there for the short-term markets, whether it defunds Planned Parenthood. And also, if any of the Obamacare taxes are kept for all this money that they're putting into the bill to try and make it a little more heartening, I guess Trump would say. So I guess my takeaway right now is that this is going to be the first time we get a concrete sense of what the Senate is thinking about every single important health care issue. That list you just ran down is pretty much the whole ballgame. We don't really know or have a sense of of where they're going on any of it yet. I mean, we're talking about the funding for the (laughs) health care program that pays for almost half of births in America, right? I mean, this is major, you know, not only is it winding down the expansion in Obamacare, it's also on top of that, one of the most significant entitlement reforms in history. They're trying to completely remake Medicaid. Maybe that's really the thing everyone needs to be looking out for tomorrow. It's not just how the Republicans are going to repeal and replace Obamacare. It's whether this bill is going to potentially be something much more drastic. It's are they going to really try to reshape fundamental pieces of the welfare state drastically in the way we kind of talked about in the last episode by putting Medicaid's funding in a vice? Or are they going to do something a little less draconian to Medicaid and focus more on kind of making changes around the edges? Is that something we're going to have a strong sense of by tomorrow, you think? I think that's fair. I mean, with all of these changes, what's going to come out tomorrow, and I guess this is what we're moving to now, is 
are these the final changes? Is this the bill or very similar to the bill that they're eventually going to be voting on next week? I wrote a piece yesterday that was even though they're sort of making these decisions about what to put into the bill that they're going to send to CBO, neither side has really stopped arguing its case in these private meetings that they've been having every day. So you're going to have something sent to CBO that they can get a score on, but you may see all of those numbers in it adjusted to see whatever maximizes vote totals in the end. This is still very fluid. It's also really unclear who's going to vote for this right now. There's a lot of people who are who are really unsure about this. Yeah. So I heard yesterday the scuttlebutt on Twitter is that there were still like seven no's on the bill. Is that sound right to you or? It sounds a little bit like posturing right now. There are multiple types of posturing here. There are certain people who have never been comfortable with this approach. And that may be, you know, more from the moderate side. And there's sort of a competition to see, well, we have 52 members of the caucus. We only need 50 votes. Who are the two of us who are going to get the lifeboats that we don't have to vote for this awful thing? There's also just posturing, too, because, you know, you don't want to come out and be the first one to say, like, this is good. This meets all of my demands or is acceptable and I'll vote for it because then other people who haven't said that can just keep negotiating and move it more to their end. So at some point, McConnell is just going to have to call an end to it, put the bill on the floor and say, you're voting for this or you're voting to save Obamacare. So I think that brings us to another big looming question, which is whether or not Republicans are even going to be able to put this bizarre compromised third choice sort of a bill on the floor because they're using this process called budget reconciliation. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard this phrase by now, but just in case you're a little foggy on the details, it's the way the Senate can prevent a filibuster and pass a bill with just 50 votes. However, in order to do it, everything in the bill has to involve the budget, has to involve taxing and spending. And then as an extra little quirk, it can't raise the budget deficit outside of the budget window, which in this case is the 10-year horizon that they're planning for. And right now, Republicans, one of the big arguments is about regulations. It's about whether or not states will be able to waive Obamacare's uh, insurance market rules. And that's something that conservative Republicans deeply, deeply want. It's what they fought for really hard in the House. And It seems like for a while, everyone was just kind of assuming the parliamentarian would let this go and allow it. But now maybe they won't. It's it's becoming less clear. Jim, what's what's going on there? You know, this was a big debate in the House bill, whether they could even put in things that may be stripped in the Senate because they violated the rules. But eventually they just wanted to jam something through the House. So they put in whatever conservatives wanted and said, we'll take our chances in the Senate. So things like allowing states to waive Obamacare's essential health benefits. That doesn't directly pertain to taxes or spending. But you can argue, and conservatives have been trying to say, that these nevertheless will have a budgetary impact, especially if you waive some of these regulations, they could affect the price of insurance plans out there. And since this bill would provide refundable tax credits, it eventually affects how much the government is going to spend on this. So that's an argument they're making. It's unclear, and this has sort of been lost in all of the other discussions about just what policies they want on their face. It's unclear whether any of this is allowed in the Senate. So there was some reporting yesterday that there's a list of certain waivers the Senate may put into the bill, but then when they get to the parliamentarian, she may say, no, you can't do these things. That makes a question, how can they pass this bill then? Because this is what conservatives want. This is what Ted Cruz and Mike Lee want. If they can't have it, then you know, how are you going to get their votes? 
there's been this this idea out there that maybe the Senate would just ignore the parliamentarian because technically the rules say that it's actually the presiding officer of the Senate who makes the, the final call and the parliamentarian is just advising. Do you think there's any possibility that Mitch McConnell or, or Mike Pence or whoever will just step in and say, you know, fuck the parliamentarian, we're doing this anyway? I think there is a chance of that. I mean, if that's what it takes to get the bill through, then I, I they may consider that. So there's this other really in the weeds thing about the instructions for this bill. They have to save $1 billion on the health policy areas and $1 billion on the taxing and spending areas. It's called this jurisdictional issue or whatever. And it may not meet those requirements, this bill. So there's already talk today about whether the budget chair, Mike Enzi, will try to overrule the parliamentarian on that. So it seems like they're willing to breach it if that's what it takes to to get this through. But I don't know. It may also be that Mitch McConnell or maybe some moderates don't actually want these waivers to be in there because they're very politically awful. So maybe they would just allow the Senate parliamentarian to strip that out. But then you wonder, how does this pass? Again, we're kind of getting into the procedural weeds here, but this is potentially a huge deal also because – if the Republicans do decide to just overrule the parliamentarian and say, we don't care what you've decided about this, we're just deem this kosher, you know, <laughs> that basically, for all intents and purposes, kills the filibuster, right? Because at that point, you've right. said you can use reconciliation to pass something with 50 votes, and there's nobody, there's no outside authority to tell you what can and can't pass using reconciliation. And therefore, you know, realistically, de facto, the filibuster is no more. And so I guess that's the only thing I'm wondering is if McConnell is willing to entirely gut the filibuster, at least in function, if not in name, given that he has said that he wants to keep the filibuster around. And and so many members of Senate have very clearly said they want to keep the filibuster around. So that's the only thing I'm wondering about this this calculus, if that might be the only check on the real politic here. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I Mitch McConnell has been very concerned about touching the legislative filibuster because he worries that, you know, whenever Democrats return to power, they will be able to use it to greatly expand the size of government. So that's why he's hesitant to do those things. Probably right now, they're still trying to argue their case to the parliamentarian that certain of these provisions can go through. But we'll have to see afterwards if then they're willing to be a little more aggressive. Do you think that if they have to take out these state waivers, which again, you know, are what would allow, you know, Alabama to ditch the essential health benefits, basically tell insurers you don't have to cover maternity care or mental health care. Do you think that if they can't get these waivers in, conservatives will really bail on the bill? I don't really know. I mean, they could try to placate conservatives by choking Medicaid even harder or something, you know. They could try something like that. But it seems like all the things that the parliamentarian might have issue with are things that conservatives really want. I mean, there's also some reporting today that they may have to take out abortion-related provisions from the bill. There's some conflicting reporting that says they, they are doing that. Then there's another reporter saying that, no, they're not. They're still working on it. But if they have this bill and they can't defund Planned Parenthood or the tax credits they're trying to institute could be used on plans that offer abortion, I don't know how conservatives are going to vote for that. And especially if this goes back to the House, it would be very hard to find either Senate far right or House conservatives who can vote for a bill that implements new tax credits that would be allowed to use on plans with abortion. Yeah. Abortion nearly derailed Obamacare. You think back to the Stupak Amendment and that whole drama back in 2009, it was it, it seemed like such a, a weirdly tertiary issue that kind of flared up with the Democrats trying to pass a bill. You can only imagine what that would do to the Republican attempt here. 
considering how much more that party cares about abortion issues. I guess that's just one more potentially confounding factor here. So uh, we've been going on for a while, so I want to kind of get to our last segment, which we like to call, Is This Shit Really Happening? And that is where Jim and I both place a bet on whether or not we think this bill, the Republican health care bill, will eventually be signed into law. There's been a little bit of confusion up until now. Jim thought he was betting on whether or not the Senate would pass this. I thought I was betting on whether the whole shebang would end up on Donald Trump's desk. We are now saying officially this is about whether or not there, we will eventually see Trump care. So, Jim, where do you stand as of today? Well, it looks now like the math is getting really, really tight. They're trying to ram it through. There are a lot of people who are not on board. So it looks like it's in a pretty dark position. But whenever it looks like it's about to fail, that means that it's probably going to return. So I'm actually a little more confident that it'll pass now. I'm willing to bet the key to an old apartment I used to live in that I never turned back in. But uh, yeah. I am also willing to uh, bet that this will be passed into law. And in fact... I'm even willing to bet a cherished childhood keepsake, my autographed uh, Yankees game ball that was signed by Andy Pettit, who was one of the great pitchers for the 90s championship teams. I'm willing to put that up as a wager that Trump care eventually will be law, whatever Trump care actually looks like, because it doesn't seem Republicans actually care. And on that note, I think that brings us to the end of today's Trump care tracker. Uh, join us again on Friday, where we'll be talking about the juicy draft bill and going through all the interesting details that unveils. I'm Jordan Weissman. The show's producer is June Thomas. Jim, thanks for chatting today. Yeah. Big Friday. Everyone get excited for it. Everybody get amped. Talk to you then, Jim. Yep. Bye. Bye.